Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brand new week with you. Hope you had a great Easter weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs or refinancing needs, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. They've got branch locations all across North Mississippi. You can find those locations on their website, or you can uh, find a phone number and uh, give them a call, talk to them about your needs, and they will be happy to help at Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Good to be back with you as we start a new week. The C Spire text line is open. That number is 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Guys, we were off on Friday. Hope you had a uh, a good good Friday, and then uh, everybody out of town. So everybody got a little downtime this weekend. Borky, you have a uh, have a good weekend. Yeah, I did a lot around the house. Really, didn't get to do anything like recreationally Easter wise. I have to prepare the house for moving. So no, I had a had a busy active weekend, which is not really common for me anymore. So are you uh, are you packing boxes already? Yeah, we've already got, oh gosh, if I had to guess, 15, 20 boxes already packed. Um, Moving is miserable. Yeah, that's why we're trying to do it just every single day we're doing something, because we don't move for another five weeks, but we're trying to do something every single day that will help the moving day. Are you are you hiring a mover or are you going to do it all yourself? I'm going to try to do as much as I can as possible. We're going to hire a mover for for a couple of things. I'm talking they will require one trip. It'll be my bed. I can't fit in my SUV. There's there's a couple of dressers that are so heavy I can't carry on my own. Uh, refrigerator and washer and dryer. Everything else I should be able to get on my own, and I'm prepared to get them all on my own. So we'll see. There you go. Good for you. Hope you don't end up with a back injury as a uh, result of this. <laughs> I've already, kind of turning into an old man. I've already broken my foot just on a jog, so yeah, that's probably coming. Hey, Dad, did you have a nice Easter weekend? I sure did. I didn't do any of those things that Michael Borky was just talking about. <laughs> Me either. I did nothing. I, I, it was fantastic. I did pressure wash like sidewalk back porch area. That's probably the most labor-intensive thing of the weekend. So, you yeah. want to talk about a feeling of accomplishment, though? Like I, I'm real big into into menial tasks where you can see immediate progress. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like like mowing the yard is rewarding because every strip you make, you you get a little closer to it, and you can immediately see the improvement. Pressure washing is like that. You know, you you, you cover a couple of segments of the sidewalk, and all of a sudden you've made a difference. Yeah, that's good stuff. It's did also you hunt it's just, eggs. It's, I did. We did. We had that in the in the backyard on a. Uh, on Saturday, on Sunday, and uh, yeah, 
It was a very enjoyable, chill weekend. Did uh, did you steal candy from your kids after they? No, no, can't, no candy for me. No candy for. Oh, me. that's right. In the past, you would have stolen candy. From oh, your in the kids, past, though, right? there would have been a dad tax enacted. No question about that. <laughs> a dad tax. I like it. I li- did. The, did the uh, does the Easter Bunny visit your house? Uh, he's still there. Yeah, he 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 came by uh, this weekend. It's good to know. Yeah. Rippy, does the uh, does the Easter Bunny still visit you if you're home for the weekend? No, he does not. Really? No. That's no good. Yeah, I don't really remember the last time the Easter Bunny came, but it's been a while. I hadn't seen that guy in a minute. Did you have a good weekend? I did. I didn't do a whole lot. Played I, some golf. I thought you said you played golf twice well, and I, went to a crawfish boil. I consider that not doing much. Like, oh, that's kind of fun. That's yeah, leisure. I mean, that's still stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, for this is kind of a peek ahead to winners and losers, but uh, for as bad a weather spring as we have had, the last two, I guess last three days, but especially the last two days, yesterday and today, have been like the most spectacular weather days you could possibly ask for. Just absolutely spectacular. It's great. Yeah. It's, 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 it's been something to to enjoy. Wait, sure. is, isn't this called San Diego? Like seventy five and sunny. Then isn't that what they call San Diego? Yeah. Yeah, maybe there is a reason to live in California. Uh, probably a lot of reasons not to live in California as well. It was a uh, a, a semi busy sports weekend. A lot of baseball. Ole Miss goes on the road for Thursday, Friday, Saturday against Auburn. Uh, they lose the series. Mississippi State goes to Fayetteville for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. They get swept uh, at Arkansas. Um, Southern Miss, kind of the only bright spot. They were at home this weekend, had to play a doubleheader on Friday, and then played the final game of the series on Saturday. And uh, Southern Miss got a much-needed sweep. Got to be feeling a little bit better about themselves. In the uh, the non-baseball category, pretty good weekend for I don't know. We call them Olympic sports, non-revenue sports, country club sports. Country club sports. Okay, country club sports. Mississippi State's men's tennis team won the SEC championship. They played really well. Hey, Dad. Yeah, they did. Uh, and that's back-to-back SEC uh, tournament championships for Coach Matt Roberts and his squad. They got a little bit of a break with Tennessee upsetting Florida. Florida was undefeated this year uh, in SEC play, but they got knocked out in the semifinals, and the Bulldogs take down the Volunteers. And uh, they'll head off to the NCAA tournament in search of uh, the program's first national title. And they won't have to head far because they'll be hosting a regional in Starkville next weekend or a couple of weeks whenever it is that that happens, right? Right, correct. They should they should be doing that, yes. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's good news for them. So congratulations on the SEC Tennis Championship for the men's team at Mississippi State. The Ole Miss women's golf team for the first time in program history in Birmingham on Sunday afternoon, yesterday afternoon, won the uh, the SEC Women's Golf Tournament Championship. They beat South Carolina three to two in uh, in match play to uh, to get the win. And the story was Macy Samoski. Did I say her last name right, Rippy? Samoski. Yeah. Okay. I was just making sure. Uh, former walk on who made more clutch putts this past weekend than Rippy has made in the 23 <laughs> years that he has existed on planet Earth. Would you agree with that? I'd have to think on that When one, have but... you ever made a clutch putt? Like for something that mattered. 
I saved myself from losing some money this weekend. I did have a thought that if you were playing a wolf game and you had gone lone wolf, you would not be pleased if Macy Samoski was on the uh, the other team. No, and she probably doesn't have the option of getting in people's kitchen like I do. Yes, because I'm sure people are so intimidated when you get in their kitchen. It's mental warfare. Mental warfare. So Ole Miss, uh, they knock off Florida, who was the number one seed, and then they beat Georgia, and then they beat South Carolina to uh, get a three to two win. And it was it was pretty cool, pretty drama filled. It was really Which, entertaining television. I watched it after I got home from church. Um, I played high school golf with Connor Beth Ball, who was in the she anchored them and was in the back match. So I kind of tuned in to see what what was going on with her, and then of course the the theatrics ahead of her. It was really awesome. But you know, they've done a really good job with that program, and that was certainly well deserved. The the makeup of the uh, the roster, the five that played, two sophomores, two freshmen, one of which was a walk on, and a junior uh, transfer. How about that? They were young last year, too. So, uh, good things there uh, as Ole Miss wins the uh, SEC Women's Golf Championship. So, cool weekend on the uh, the tennis courts and on the golf course as well. Uh, all three baseball coaches will join us this afternoon. Scott Berry coming up about 20 minutes from now. Chris Lamonis in the 4 o'clock hour. Mike Bianco in the 5 o'clock hour. We have reached draft week on Thursday night. Round one of the NFL draft on Friday. You will have rounds two and three, and then the rest of the draft will happen on Saturday. And guys, we'll talk some draft as we go throughout the week. Just just quick quickly around the table. Best guess combined, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. How many first rounders? Hey Dad, how many do you think? Three. You think three? Mm-hmm. What about you, Borky? Yeah, I'm going three. If you set the over-under at three and a half, that would be a really good bet. I would say three, but four is also extremely likely. I don't think we're getting just two, and I don't think the number is five anymore. So either three or four. How many, Rippy? I was going to say three as well. You're going three? Yeah. I I, I almost lean four, um, and, and I think it's because Sweat and Simmons both go in the first round for Mississippi State, and I think that both DK and AJ go in the first round for Ole Miss. Um, hey, Dad, I'm curious of the uh, with your guess of three, who do you think the three are that are first rounders? Sweat, Simmons, and Metcalf. Okay, I think AJ is is an early second rounder. Rippy, you kind of on the same same train there. Yeah, and Brown would be the one that got him to four if it happened. Yeah. Borky thinking along the same lines? Yes, sir. All right. So uh, we're kind of all in agreement there. We will begin to unpack the baseball weekend when we come back. We'll take a look at Ole Miss's weekend on the plane. Scott Berry coming up in uh, a little while. And um, dive into some more with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Again, the C Spire text line is open at 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Take a closer look at the RPI numbers coming up in a bit. But D1 Baseball's newest RPI has Georgia at 4, Arkansas at 5, Tennessee at 8. Mississippi State is at 12, A&M at 13, Auburn is at 16, LSU is at 19. To find Ole Miss, you go to number 28, and then you have a few SEC teams behind them. All 14 teams in the SEC are top 60 or better 
in the RPI. That should probably lead to good news for a bunch of teams in the SEC when the NCAA tournament selection rolls around. However, if you are looking to be a host or being uh, looking to be a national seed, you know that you have got a bunch of competition. And I don't think anybody really believes that eight host sites are going to go to SEC schools. Do they? Should we eight believe seems that, really, seems really that, that half of the host sites would be SEC schools? Don't they trend, though, in really holding true to the RPI number? I mean, it, Vanderbilt, it like, by the way, also is number two. Yeah, It feels like every year 15 out of the 16 are top 16 in the RPI host. Almost every year. It's like they, they stick very closely to the RPI. Are they... Are they going to have to just not do that this year for the first time in recent memory just to avoid giving it to a bunch of SEC teams? Well, if you went top 16, you'd have Vandy at 2, Georgia at 4, Arkansas at 5, Tennessee at 8, Mississippi State at 12, A&M at 13, and Auburn at 16. That's 7. Well, you'd get rid of Auburn, so I can see them getting six host sites and then whoever number 17 is getting it over Auburn. Yeah, potentially. Creighton is number 17. I don't think Auburn has the staying power to host. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, LSU certainly feels like they could play their way back into it. They played better after game one this weekend, and all of a sudden... They're 11-7. and seven. They're starting to get a little healthier as well. So... so yeah, we all wrote we... Auburn off last week, and now that you know they would take two out of three, they're sort of right back in it. Yeah, they are. And I mean, that's the thing. You know, one through six in the SEC West is very much, you know, in the race for a division crown. And I mean, I guess that's good at this point. Uh, if, if you're not in first place like Arkansas is, you, you want to be within shouting distance. You've got Arkansas at 12 and six, Texas A&M at 11, six and one. So half a game back. Um, LSU at 11 and 7, one game back. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Auburn all at 10 and 8, two games out of first place. And with what's on the horizon, so Ole Miss has Texas A&M this weekend. So if you're chasing, you want to be playing somebody that's in front of you, I guess. Um, Mississippi State hosts Georgia this weekend. Whew. Tough weekend coming up for the uh, Bulldogs. But again, an opportunity to get really good quality wins against a really good baseball team. That's what this last month is going to be. It's going to be, you know, all these teams beating up on each other, and we'll see who comes out at the end on top. But, yeah, I mean, you look at State's next, you know, three series. You've got uh, Georgia, then at A&M, and at Ole Miss. I mean, there's no time off in that at all. Yeah, you, you okay, so – Plus one more, right? So Mississippi State has Georgia, A&M, Ole Miss, and then what's the final weekend? It's South Carolina at home. That, that one you feel – I mean, the way South Carolina's played this year, you think you probably can you can get that series. But the other yeah. three, very much up in the air. And, and for Ole Miss, it is Texas A&M this weekend at home, on the road against LSU, Mississippi State at home, and on the road against Tennessee. And that's a Tennessee team that, again, is now sitting at number eight – in the RPI, they've got 30 wins overall, and they're nine and nine in league play. Yeah, they're they're squarely in the hosting discussion, and they're playing really really well. I, you know, there were some people on some message boards saying, "Ah, look at this MSU team. Their best win is at Tennessee." And I'm just like, "How many teams in the country would like to have a road series win against a top 10 RPI team? That's a good win. 
That's a good serious win for Mississippi State. We'll see if it means anything in a few weeks. Let's go through the weekend for uh, Ole Miss. They go to Auburn. They play on Thursday night. Lose that ball game seven to four. Ole Miss led four to one, and they were able to knock the starter out of the game relatively early. Uh, Garrett Wade lasted just two and two thirds. So Auburn went with what everybody kind of is doing against Ole Miss if they have the option, and that's starting a left-hander. Well, you knock the left-hander out of the game. Five hits, four runs, uh, stole some bases on him as well. But then Auburn goes to a right-hander and Richard Fitz. He goes four and a third innings, does not allow a run, and then Cody Greenhill pitches the final two, and that guy is nails out of the bullpen. He is throwing gas and uh, went the final two innings, got three strikeouts. Um, Will Etheridge, five innings, kind of got away from him in the sixth. Four walks, I believe two to start the sixth that kind of got him in trouble, and that's really when things began to unravel with old, for Ole Miss there. So, you know, I, I imagine they left Thursday night thinking they let one get away with their ace on the mound and them getting a midweek guy out by the third inning. Yeah, I would think so. Um, so Ole Miss led four to one. Auburn made it four to three in the third inning. Uh, they added two more runs in the sixth, a run in the seventh, and a run in the eighth to get a seven to four win. Auburn committed three errors in that game and still got the win in the uh, the opening night of the weekend series. So that pushes you to game two, and now stuff starts to not make sense, right? So you, Auburn throws a midweek lefty who had had very little success in game one so what do they do they followed up with tanner burns in game two a guy that's probably a future first rounder and Ole Miss has some success with burns they led one to nothing after two then it, or after uh, the top of the second it was tied one to one after two innings Ole Miss was up three to one after three it was three to two after four rebels took a uh, four to two lead with a run in the sixth inning Auburn got it a run closer. It was 4-3, to three, and then Ole Miss got a big run in the top of the ninth inning. And Parker Caracy, a hard-earned save at the end of that ball game, picked up his eighth save of the year. Two innings, gave up one hit, had four strikeouts. But probably important to look at the fact that he had to throw 46 pitches to do it to pick up that two-inning save. Yeah, I thought Ole Miss did a good job spiking Burns' pitch count. I think he was at 99 through five innings, squared him up for seven hits. So, you know... It feels like they like after that one is kind of like they rectified, you know, not taking advantage on Thursday night, and you're even headed into a bit of a coin flip in the finale. And it was a little bit of a coin flip. The starter in that game for Ole Miss was Gunnar Hoagland. He lasted just two and two thirds. Brooks Fuller went four and two thirds for Auburn. Ole Miss got pretty good work out of its bullpen. Max Chofey uh, probably pitched his best of the entire season, three and a third innings, getting you through the sixth inning. Tyler Myers pitching for the second time on the weekend uh, gives up just a, or he gives up a run and works just a third of an inning. Austin Miller uh, in relief, and then they try to go to Parker Caracy again, again on the heels of throwing 46 pitches the day before. Caracy goes an inning and two thirds. He gets through the ninth inning with no damage, uh, but gets into the trouble into trouble uh, in the tenth inning, gives up a run, and Auburn gets a win. And it was kind of a crazy tenth inning. Auburn had the bases loaded with nobody out, and Ole Miss got a ground ball to first. Zabowski fields it, throws to the plate, but the throw was offline, and so Auburn scores a run to tie it. Uh, end up with the bases loaded again. Ole Miss brings a fifth infielder in, so Anthony Servideo comes from the outfield to the infield. You get a couple of strikeouts from Parker Caracy, go back to a normal defense, 
and then Auburn with two outs in the inning and the bases loaded gets a ground ball through the left side to win it. Yeah, and a tough. I mean, that was a. It was a good baseball game. Both teams played relatively well in that game. You know, tough situation for Crazy to be in. What that's seven. Oh, you're gonna make me do math. Eighty-two pitches in two days. Forty-nine, thirty-three. He threw forty-six and forty-nine. Oh, I'm looking at yeah, forty-six and forty-nine. Second day, I was looking at strikes. So forty-six, forty-nine. Tough. Ninety-five pitches in two days. That's a tough ask. Um, From your closer. But yeah, just a close ball game that that Auburn was on the right side of on that one. I mean, the, where they really obviously we went back to it, but where you really didn't take advantage was on Friday night on Thursday night. Yeah, Borky, what did you take away from the weekend for Ole Miss? That's a loaded question. Um, the opportunity was there. I mean, even in the series that they're losing, and I know look, their RPI is almost thirty now, and they're not in line to host at the moment. But I guess if you're you're looking for a silver lining. Even the series that they're losing, they are still in it. I mean, it was a rubber match in which they had a lead in extra innings. So the team, they are right there. I know they they struggle with lefties, and there are some issues. Ryan Olenek still hurt. But they are very close to being what everybody expected them to be this season. They're very close. And I thought Tyler Keenan playing at normal depth with two men on and nobody out in the bottom of the 10th was an odd move. If he was playing that bunt, which you knew was coming, maybe that inning goes differently. So just a couple of things that went wrong and you still had a lead in the rubber match on a road SEC series against a ranked team. There, I'm not pushing the panic button like some people are yet. I think the team is still very close to being what you expected them to be. They've got to take care of business at some point, but... Uh, the the meltdown I don't think is warranted. They're almost there. They're very close. Have to get more length on Sundays. They're going to have to do something different, and they're going to have to formulate more bullpen depth. It looked like you got a little bit of that with Trophy, but got to figure out something as far as starting pitching on Sunday. Southern Miss got a sweep this weekend of Charlotte in Hattiesburg. We'll talk with Scott Berry coming up next on the Farm Bureau phone line. those Conference USA baseball standings and they're in a tie for first. You see Southern Miss at 14-4. and four. Florida Atlantic also at 14-4. and four. That's because the Golden Eagles got a sweep this weekend of Charlotte. Every Monday we talk with Scott Berry, head baseball coach in Hattiesburg. He is on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Coach, needed a weekend where you got some wins and your team did just that. Got three wins uh, against Charlotte and I would imagine felt uh, a little bit better going to sleep Saturday night than maybe you had uh, in the the few days prior. Yeah, most definitely, Richard. You know, I thought our guys competed uh, very well coming off from a disappointing uh, game on Tuesday down in um, in Mobile against South Alabama, where uh, we just didn't do do very much in that game at all. But uh, you know, we moved moved past it and responded with three good wins and did some things really well uh, in those three uh, three games against Charlotte. You know, I think the biggest thing is is putting the ball in play. We had really been striking out a bunch the last uh, five games prior, but in the three games against Charlotte, we only uh, we only struck out 14 times in those three games. So uh, put a lot of put a lot of pressure on them defensively, made them make plays and. Of course, our, our starting pitching with, with Walker Powell and Stevie Powers and Mason Strickland 
did a great job getting us out the gate. Uh, I had a doubleheader on, on Friday because he got washed out on Thursday, and Powell went eight innings, and Hunter Stanley came in and, and relieved in that one. Uh, and then on uh, the second game, Stevie Powers went seven innings, and uh, and then uh, we only used one other guy in that one as well. I'm sorry, Stanley came in in that one. Uh, Jerry Wright came in the first one. So only four pitchers used in the first two games, which kept us really fresh and, and ready to go for that third one, uh, which we were able to win and sweep, sweep the series. I know we've talked about it before, but when Walker Powell can can get you deep into the game in game one, it just kind of has the ability to change the complexion of the rest of the weekend, doesn't it? Well, it does, and I think that's, you know, with any team. I mean, because it keeps your bullpen ready to go for the final two games. You know, I think last year, we talked about it at the beginning of the year, trying to uh, set the tone for this staff and and what Nick Sandlin did for us, you know, by going – Averaging eight innings every outing. I mean, it basically had the whole pitching staff who was on that roster for the yeah. final two games available and ready to go. And that is a huge, huge difference. Obviously, anybody offensively in that first game of, of a three-game series, they want to get in that pen early and they want to get that thing tired on Friday. Uh, so then on Sunday, there's there's really nothing left. So there's nothing better than a, than a starter on Friday going deep into that game and keeping everything fresh for the final two. Kind of an odd weekend from a schedule standpoint. You mentioned getting getting washed out on Thursday uh, be, because of the severe weather that came through Hattiesburg and, and the entire state. So you go doubleheader on Friday, but you play early, and then you've got an early start on Saturday as well. Do you have to do anything different kind of from a preparation standpoint to, to get your guys ready for a pair of nine-inning games and then turn around with an early start the next day? No. You know, I think you just – you basically tell it like it is. You know, the other team has to do the same thing. So, you know, it becomes uh, kind of that mental toughness and, and being able to go out and compete no matter the situation. And, uh, you know, it, certainly we would have rather played three games over three days, but weather sometimes doesn't allow you to do that. The challenge was is getting those two in on, on Friday with no wiggle wiggle room on, on Saturday because of a 10 o'clock start and early flight for them. Uh, on Easter weekend, so yeah. you know we did we did get the weather to cooperate. Honestly, I, I couldn't believe that we we got those in, and we were out we were off the field at five thirty on on uh, on Friday with an eleven o'clock first game start. So things went really well. Uh, you know, not to mention we won both games, and, and we were ready for for Sunday morning in that early game. Coach, baseball is such a numbers-driven game, and, and we kind of all season long have looked at Matt Walner, and you go, well, you think his numbers will start to come around and start to come around, and you look up, and what, I guess about two-thirds of the way, maybe three-quarters of the way through the season, there he is with a two ninety average. Maybe that's a little lower than you would have thought, but he's got nine doubles and ten home runs, and he's driven in 37 runs on the season. I don't know if this season has gone exactly the way Matt would have liked for it to have gone, but the production ultimately is is getting there, or at least it well, seems like right. it is. No, you're exactly right. It is. I mean, he started to heat up a little bit, and uh, you know, early on he really struggled. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the people were pitching him pretty pretty tough. He was getting himself out, frustrated because he wasn't getting the pitches that uh, you know he had been in the prior two years, and. So he kind of pressed, 
in all honesty, Richard, but now I think he's relaxed. He's really taken some quality at bats up there. He had some uh, he had some at bats this weekend, nothing to show for it, but he really barreled some balls up that were right right at people uh, on the line. So, you know, we need him certainly hitting uh, hitting and hitting well in the middle of that lineup. Uh, because it will just make everybody else around there uh, a lot better. So I feel good where he is right now, uh, both uh, mentally and physically, and, and it's starting to show. Scott Berry, on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. There was pretty big news in the college baseball world on Friday uh, when we found out that the uh, the proposal for the option to pay a third assistant coach, no longer have just a volunteer in that role, uh, was voted down by the the Division One Council, and there's been a lot that's been made of this. I, I'm curious to kind of get your reaction, where you stood on it, and and what you thought of the vote. Well, very disappointed. You know, I think our sport deserves much, much better than what the NCA and the committee and and whoever is making those decisions, uh, the athletic directors. Uh, we are a sport that is growing uh, in numbers and. And popularity, uh, and, and facilities, and everything about it. We we're starting a lot of programs are starting to make money uh, for them. So there is a need. But I think the disappointing thing is, Richard, is when you start looking at the ratio of player per coach ratio, and ours is higher than really anybody's. And uh, you know, there's really no reason for that. So we got a lot of guys out there that are going to make really good baseball coaches, but. You know, they may never see that day because they won't be able to just continue to make, uh, you know, very little as volunteers, which is only camp money and and uh, and lessons. So certainly, I came up that way back in the '80s. I mean, I remember I was roofing houses, I was setting up displays in grocery stores on end caps, I was painting athletic fields. Uh, you know, I was doing a lot of things to try to make ends meet. But you know, that that sport. Our sport was different back then in the 80s than what it is today. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, there is talk that they're going to revise this proposal for next year uh, to where it will be more favorable in trying to get this thing passed because there's a lot of guys out there that deserve to be baseball coaches and, and have the have the ability to help young men be better, not only on the field but off the field. And it's a shame if we lose those quality quality people. How would it make a difference in the day-to-day operation of your program if you were able to have another full-time paid assistant? Well, it would. The number one thing that a that a volunteer can't do that a full-time can do is that he can't go out and recruit. He can't get experience. So, for him to to market himself and to move into a better position, obviously that that volunteer position is going to be probably the lowest paid of the three assistants. So. But it's a paid assist. It's a paid position at, at many conferences. It may not be at the Power Five. They may be up there pretty good. I don't really know. But uh, but you know, like 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 at our conference and, and and our people like us, you know, those guys they get their foot in the door. Now they'll get recruiting experience and they'll make themselves attractive to other programs to try to hire them. But you know, right now the knock on volunteers is they work their rear off doing everything, but they don't have recruiting experience. They don't have those ties. They haven't made those connections out there in recruiting. And as, as we all know, a big part uh, of this of this uh, baseball world right now is recruiting, and that's the lifeblood of every program, really. 
It's really fascinating stuff, and uh, hopefully when they uh, put the proposal back together, it will gain the, uh, the, I don't know, the support that it needs to get it passed. And maybe this can start a conversation about upping the scholarship numbers as well. We'll, uh, we'll see where this goes. Scott, always appreciate your insight. Uh, I know you've got a busy week coming up with five games this week. Wish you all the best. There we go. Hey, it's Monday. It's time for Winners and Losers. Let's roll. All I, all I, all I, all I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. You know, sometimes you wonder if things that you're doing on the radio actually resonate with people. And I realized yesterday that this is something that does resonate with people. I was at a buddy of mine's place uh, yesterday afternoon, and his dad pulled up. He gets out of the car. He goes, I tell you what, I know what somebody on your winner's list better be tomorrow. I said, well, I might know where you're going with that. He's kind of a golf nut, and uh, I would agree with him. So the Ole Miss women's golf team wins an SEC championship. Uh, the entire team deserves plenty of credit, but Macy Samoski, different level, won three match play matches and ultimately was the difference in Ole Miss winning and losing an SEC championship. She defeated South Carolina's Lois K. Go on the 22nd hole to claim the conference title for the Rebels. Seven hours earlier in the day, she had defeated Georgia's Marta Perez for a berth in the finals for Ole Miss. Samoski played 62 holes in the span of three matches and about 24 hours to help Ole Miss win the championship. And in each of her three matches, it went to extra holes. It went to sudden death playoff, if you will. 22 holes toe-to-toe against uh, Lois K. Go. Down most of the match, called her way back on the back nine, won at 15 to be one down with three to play. On the 18th green, she made about a 50-foot snake to tie the match, send it to extra holes. Both she and her opponent made par on 16, 17, and 18. They turned around played 18 again. Player for South Carolina hit it in the drink. Macy Samoski did not. She got it on the green, made her par. South Carolina missed the par putt, and Ole Miss becomes an SEC champion in women's golf. So Macy Samoski, top of my winner's list for the weekend. Hey, Dad, who have you got on the winner's list? It's going to be an odd one, maybe, but I, we were just talking about the NBA playoffs and how there's not a lot of great storylines. How about the NHL playoffs? Both one seeds go out in the first round. How often are you ever going to see anything like that? That was pretty good, especially Tampa Bay, who everybody thought was maybe an all-time team. They set a record for most wins in the regular season, and they get bounced. They got swept in the first round by the eight seed. So a lot of good storylines there in the NHL. I like watching playoff hockey. It's always exciting. So their fans are getting a, a real treat with some upsets there. Rippy, what do you got? You kind of took mine there, but I'll go continue NBA line. Damian, what Lillard. are the odds of that though? Come on. Um. Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, kind of like the forgotten backcourt in the Western Conference. They're kind of getting their due, punking Russell Westbrook, probably making it to the second round with a really good shot to make the conference finals. Like They would probably be the backcourt in the NBA if it wasn't for Stephen Clay, but overshadowed. It's been fun to watch. Yeah, plus Portland's kind of off the map a little bit. Just a bit. Off the radar a bit. And they don't vaccinate uh, their kids there. So. Oh, geez, Borky. <laughs> Borky, give me a winner. <laughs> they don't. It's true. 
Um, the Arizona Cardinals. So this happens every year in the draft, mostly with the number one pick that suddenly, after three months of scouting and three months of obvious what they're going to do right before the draft, the number one pick team is is considering other options in cooling on their surefire first-round pick, and the media has bought it hook, line, and sinker. The Cardinals are having a hard time shopping Josh Rosen. They want to pick Kyler Murray, but nobody's taken it yet, and so they're doing this media thing where they leak out stories about how, well, they're really considering Bosa or looking elsewhere. They're not sold on Kyler Murray, and everybody's eating it alive. They want to get rid of Josh Rosen. They want to draft Kyler Murray, and they're using the media like puppets as their platform. It's genius, I guess, because we keep buying it, but we should know that they're doing this by now. Yeah, you're right. I, I heard an interview with uh, Phil Savage earlier today, most recently the GM of the Arizona Hotshots, former GM with the Cleveland Browns, and uh, he and Rick Neuheisel were talking, and they were asking, okay, any particular chance that they go a different direction? And um, and 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 Phil Savage started, well, you know, some smoke this weekend that they might not be uh, as sold. Oh, geez. Here we go. We've heard it before. We have heard it before. Are they going to get anything for Josh Rosen? They need to lower their standards. I don't think anybody's going to give up a first-round pick going into this draft to get a guy that a team that was the worst team in the NFL last year is trying to get rid of as fast as possible. You can't just say, hey, we don't want this quarterback. Give us a first-rounder for him. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, anybody else uh, We need to add anything else to the winner's list that we just can't move on from? I think we're good. Okay. Well, let's go to some losers from the weekend. I was lying in bed last night, and I was Jane and I were talking, and uh, we were talking about winners and losers. Yes, Borky, I actually do sometimes think about the show beyond the three hours that we're actually on the air. It's good to she know. She goes, yeah, yeah. You're proud, right? Yeah, yeah. She goes, well, your biggest loser of the weekend's the devil. <laughs> nice. And I just paused for a second, and I said... That'll make the list, Jane. Good call. On Easter Sunday, the devil kind of the biggest loser. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that that's out there. Um, if the team with the number one overall pick in the draft leaking information that they're not necessarily sold on the team on the guy that everybody thinks is going to be the number one pick is a tradition unlike any other. Then our second draft week tradition, unlike any other, is the leaking of Wonderlick scores. Yes, it happens every year. Have you guys ever taken the practice Wonderlick test? Yeah, and I would like us to do that this week. Well, let, let's talk about that for a second. So the, the one that I found online gives you like 11 minutes to ask answer 50 questions. So what's the strategy here? Because you can't answer, the the way those questions are built, you you can't go through and properly answer those questions in eleven minutes. Like like I got through fifteen of the fifty questions. Now, now that's the bad news. Is the good news is I went fifteen for fifteen. I got all fifteen of the questions that I answered right, but that left thirty five unanswered questions. 
So do you just keep an eye on the clock, do the best you can on the ones you can actually get to, and then just go through and answer C for everything else on the test? Potentially. I actually heard a a scout talk about this because this is one of the things in the draft process that gets ridiculed pretty frequently. And basically what they're just testing is the ability – to critically think quickly because that's what the game of football is. That was his justification is football, the amount of things that go into one play, especially in the NFL, is unfathomable. Kirk Cousins, I think it was Kirk Cousins, put on Twitter their playbook, and it is at least eight inches of paper stacked on top of each other, their entire playbook. So all all these things are happening that you have to process so quickly, and so that's what they're testing is your ability to, to process information that you already know but to do it as quick as possible and so wonderlick scores to them mean something more than just how smart you are unfortunately for rashawn gary who reportedly got a nine today well you just stole my loser it took me a while to get to it but rashawn gary was going to be my loser for making a nine anybody else want to quickly throw a loser in yeah really nice Westbrook. top satan <laughs> <laughs> i just went straight to the top of the mountain sorry yeah, Russell Westbrook, the media is not your enemy. And continuing to treat them like that only shows your immaturity, and your immaturity may be part of the reason why you keep losing in the first round of the playoffs. You're an exceptional athlete. The media is not your enemy. Don't treat them that way. They're the ones that promote you. Stop acting like a child. Grow up, and maybe you'll get somebody to play with you. Uh, hey, Dad, you got a loser quickly? Mississippi State baseball, how could it not be? Yeah, we'll get to uh, more of that coming up. Chris Lamonis joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll be back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Baseball can be a humbling game. Mississippi State goes on the road. They get swept this weekend, losing 5-3, to 12-5, and 10-2 to to Arkansas. Chris Lamonis joins us right now, head baseball coach at uh, Mississippi State. And, uh, uh, Coach, you probably more than anybody don't need reminders that on a weekend, week out basis, this league is just brutal. You, you go from sitting in first place going into the weekend and a tie for fourth at the the end of the weekend, and it could flip again in like five days. It's kind of crazy. It's just the SEC West. It's just you're playing in the best conference in the country and probably the best division or one of them. And uh, it's a weekend and week out battle, and and we didn't uh, take care of business this weekend, so we got to get ready to do it the next. What was your big takeaway from the weekend? We just didn't play good baseball for the most part. I mean, you got to tip your hat to Arkansas. I thought they played well, and um, we were just okay. And when you're just okay on the road in this league, uh, you'll get beat up like we did. So we just, you know, we played pretty good baseball all year. Um, just We just weren't real, real sharp this weekend. JT again yesterday. Um... I'm sorry, I guess it was Saturday. Gives you five innings, 74 pitches, only gives up the three runs. How did you evaluate him after kind of a, a limited role over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, he was uh, he was really good, I thought. I mean, he, you know, we took him out and a couple of the runs were given up. Probably if I left him in, probably wouldn't have gave him up. But we just had, uh, we wanted to match up left on left. And so he <clears throat> we gave up a couple of runs in that inning, but he was really good. Um, probably made one bad pitch in the whole game, but his stuff was good. And um, he was good the weekend before against Alabama. When you when you look, Coach Brian, hey, Dad, when you look at this this next game, Ad, uh, playing Ole Miss in the Governor's Cup, you know normally your midweek game would be a SWAC team or uh, some sort of mid-major team. Is there something to be said for you know you got to get back into it against an SEC team? It's not a conference game, but an SEC team, your in-state rival. Does that help you snap back to, into attention a little bit easier? 
I, I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, you hope so with our kids. I mean, they they know the sense of urgency playing Ole Miss. I mean, they know it's not just a regular game. It means more to them. It means more to our fans. Um, and it, it's a big game for them. So I think you'll see a good effort from our guys. And it should be an exciting night. I think the weather's going to be beautiful. It's a great ballpark, great opponent. Um, should be a great crowd. It should be a lot of fun. Chris, if we can take a couple of minutes, I'd love to get in with you to the, the news that came down Friday afternoon. I, I know with a lot of baseball coaches and people that follow the game closely, there was a great deal of disappointment in the um, the, the legislation not being passed that would have allowed um, a, a third paid assistant. Kind of curious where you stood on that and, and kind of the reaction that you have to uh, to ultimately that being voted down. You know, it's just kind of embarrassing for our sport. I mean, I think that's the the biggest take is, I mean, where else do you work voluntarily? I mean, we don't have voluntary anything on our campus except for the baseball, I think, softball coaches. Like, it's why why are we put into that world of that we have to be voluntary? And I sat in those spots a long time ago where I didn't get paid either, and it's you're still working, and my volunteer guy works 60, 80 hours a week, every week. A lot of stress, a lot of – why didn't he have the right to, to to be taken care of like that? It's just it's a it's a shame in our sport, and they and, and the schools that didn't vote for it, a lot of it you feel like if they, if we'd have done it another way, they weren't going to vote for it. They're just looking for a reason to say no because you could have voted yes and then just not done it to your volunteer. You had that that option, but they didn't want anybody else to do it. That's the piece that that is frustrating, you know, across the board because I just I mean we don't have. There's nobody else who's voluntary. Y'all have, you know, anywhere you go, there's no voluntary probably people working for the most part. Maybe some young kids who are interns, but not in a working profession. Yeah, and a lot of the internships you see at this point are are even paid uh, along the way as well. (laughs) What's the? I know there's some unpaid interns at times, but that's usually when you're going to school. But you go around the world, there's nobody, you know, that really is, you know, in that world. Have you heard any rationale from you know places like in the Big Twelve, like Oklahoma and Texas, were were schools that kind of spoke out about it, against it? And I know Chris Del Conte tried to spin it as well. The softball piece was added, and he wanted to learn more about what that meant for it. Is there any rationale though that kind of supports the other side of the argument that makes any sense at all? Not really, because if you didn't want it, you just vote it in, and you don't put it in at your school, and you can wait and weigh it out. But they didn't want the other schools who were going to support it and who were ready to support their programs to do it. And like I said, if we wouldn't have had the part of the question is, is some people feel like the softball piece because we have more players. So the the coach per player rationale, that's where some of the people tried to act like, well, softball would have the highest coach per player rationale. You shouldn't have put softball in. You should, if it had been the other way, they would have hit us the other way, (laughs) you know, like. You feel like you know there was no way to win on this thing, so it's frustrating. It's embarrassing in some ways because it's you know our poor guys are probably the per scholarship the lowest paid. They have the lowest amount of coaches, and just show up in Starkville one afternoon and see all the fans and people out to see you know Mississippi State baseball and baseball across our country um, to have that much support. But then you don't get it from I don't want to say administration wise because our administration is awesome, but you know at places that are just trying to hold the sport back. Is there a scenario where, out of this, maybe with some more attention being raised, that, that when we revisit this this issue, that it's not just about a third assistant being paid, but maybe we finally get to the point where we address something with the 11.7 scholarships, or is that a lost cause? 
No, I think we're working toward it. I, the one good thing about all this that happened, I think it raised a lot of awareness across the country and and maybe um, more centralized effort from everybody to try to get more done in our sport. I think that's a big piece. I mean, I, I, the 11.7 is embarrassing. I mean, I, you know, we in our world, we hear about paying athletes. And our, most of my guys are not on scholarship or on a very small percentage of scholarship in our program compared to other sports. And, um, you know, that's a frustrating piece. I'll let Coach Polk keep fighting that one. Um, but, <laughs> you know, just across the, you know, for, for ages, I just our kids have been underpaid. What would be the right number of scholarships? Uh, I mean, I couldn't tell you that one right more. Um, whatever <laughs> more we could get. I mean, it's yeah. just, I haven't gone that far, you know, to look at it. I just, you know, some people have talked about in time being just like a tuition and book scholarship, and you have so many of them um, to fill out your team. It's just, you know, in our world, we fight the draft so hard, too. So you're asking a kid to turn down the draft on the front end, but then pay to go to school. You know, there's just all these different pieces that make it really tricky. So we'd have to really look at that. But hopefully the awareness piece has been raised through the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's a, that certainly is a pretty tough ask. Hey, we'll wrap up with you here. I, I can't let you go, though, without asking a, a Jake Mangum question. He, he's so close at this point to becoming the all-time hits leader in the SEC. How much does that record mean, or should it mean? Oh, it should mean a lot. I mean, I, I think it'll mean a lot. Um, <clears throat> I mean, all the great players that have come through this league – and um, to watch, you know, to watch him play, I'm just, I'm grateful I get a chance to coach him for a year, um, just to be able to watch the way he plays and goes about it, and and the, and seeing all the different ways that he hits, because he, you know, even when he's not great, he'll chop a ball and beat it out. I, you know, I was talking to our guys today about how hard he plays, because we talked about running hard down the lines, and Jake just never takes a playoff. You know, he hits, he's trying, he hits a ground ball to first, he's trying to beat the first baseman to the bag. I mean, he just. Watching him play and do that, it's just so hard to, to, to get a record like that. And he does it in so many different ways. It's fun to watch, and I, I think it'll be a neat thing. Should be a lot of fun tomorrow night. Look forward to seeing you then. Okay. Take care, guys. Thank you. Chris Lavonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State. Bulldogs dropped three on the road this weekend to Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. Six o'clock tomorrow night, Trustmark Park for the Governor's Cup. Here we go, just after 5 o'clock, Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard, Michael, Borky. Yes, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. I was going to do first names, and then I realized it didn't work because we had multiple people with the same first name. All my friends call me Haydad, Richard. Yeah, well. And I think I only get Michael from my wife. What? Do what do I call you? You've never you once call called me Michael in your life, and I, I, want, I want it to stay that way. Okay. Yeah. No, my, Michael's reserved for my wife. If she called me Borky, that'd be weird, and vice versa. Hey, Dad, does your wife call you Brian or Hey, Dad? I have a rule. Uh, with any woman I've ever dated in the past leading up to my wife, which is once we go out on an actual date, I'm Brian. Yep. It's a good standard to have. Did you give a lot of thought to that before you kind of put that standard in place? or No, I just it's just like, you know, if, if we're on a date, I, 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 hey, dad doesn't really work for that. Why not? Because it's a friend it thing. That's what, that's what his buddies do. That's what my buddies call me when we're getting hammered. That's not my. That's not what, what does your my mom name call is. you? Brian, or when she's mad, Brian Matthew. 
Brian Matthew. She ever drop all three names on you? Brian Matthew. Ooh, uh, uh, not in a long time, thank God. <laughs> it's been a while, huh? <laughs> you would while. hear the belt coming at that point. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. If you got land financing needs, maybe you found a piece of property that has got your name on it. You just need to get the financing in line to make it yours. It's got uh, a house and a barn, and maybe there's a swimming pool out there. Maybe it's just a pond where you can kind of wet the hook, and uh, you just want to spread out a little bit. You're ready. Not, not that you don't like other people. You're just ready to not have neighbors. You want to be able to walk out on the front porch in the morning in nothing but your boxer shorts with a cup of coffee and just kind of soak in the beautiful morning. Well, maybe Mississippi Land Bank can help that dream become a reality for you. They know the lay of the land. They've been financing and refinancing land and all that is related to it for over 100 years. MSLandBank.com, that's their website. You can find them there online. You can find the branch locations across North Mississippi. You can also grab a phone number, give them a call, and talk to them about what it is that you need, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out about all that Ford's got to offer, cars, trucks, SUVs. Ford F-Series is the best-selling truck in America for 42 straight years, and Ford is the best-selling brand in America. You can test drive one today. Spring sales event going on. Great financing offers available for you at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. We talked earlier about how many Mississippi guys we think will be drafted in the first round. I think all of us settled on either three or four. Borky said if you set the over-under at three and a half, then uh, it would be interesting to see the bet results, and I think that's uh, that's good. So what about these reports that the Arizona Cardinals are cooling just a bit on Kyler Murray? Borky, that made it on the losers list for you. Well, yeah, well, the Cardinals, I think, were my winner, actually, because they have all the media fooled. This happens every single year. You have the draft smokescreen. The Cardinals know exactly who they are taking for number one. They know exactly when the draft starts, who they're picking at number one. There is no doubt whatsoever, but yet they say these, they leak these reports on draft week because it varies by year, obviously, but this year it's because they want to get Josh Rosen for a first-round pick or a quality player. And nobody's bitten on that yet. So what they're doing now is they're they're shopping this around. They're trying to get a deal and put some doubt into people's minds. And really, they're just going to pick Kyler Murray because that's what they decided months ago. Hey, Dad, why do you think nobody's shown interest in Josh Rosen? I don't know. It's a really good question because I liked Rosen last year. I thought that maybe he was the most complete quarterback in the draft. I thought Arizona did well to take him, um, you know, and, and I, I think nowadays there's it's just more of draft picks are just so valuable to everybody. You know, it, it used to be you'd give away a draft pick for a, for a guy and you wouldn't even blink doing it. Now, I mean, people hoard these draft picks. You look at the Patriots this year, they have 12 draft picks. Um, so that's just starting to become a little bit more common practice, I think, and 
Beyond that, I mean, Rosen didn't show you much last year, but the problem with that is he was on a terrible team, and you couldn't really take anything away from what he did. So I'm a little surprised that a team that's a quarterback need hasn't at least approached them with a reasonable offer. I think it's happened. I think it's operating secrecy. I think some of the maybe, like the reason it's lower key is because you haven't really had a situation like this before. So I'm not sure people necessarily know what the value is. Like throwing the draft into this trade, presumably, or like draft picks with the draft being kind of in the middle of when these trade talks have heated up has probably skewed what his value actually is. Because no matter what happens, whoever gets Rosen is going to get him at a cheaper value than you'd ever get a franchise quarterback anywhere else. Because he was the most complete. You don't know he's a franchise quarterback. I'll concede that. But he was the most complete quarterback in the 20, what, 17 draft? Twenty, I guess it'd be 2018 draft. Yeah, last year. Yeah. So... And you're probably not going to have to spend a first-round pick to get him. So when would you ever have a top-10 pick where you don't have to spend a first-round pick to get him? And, and I heard somebody point out today, and I thought this made a lot of sense, and oh, by the way, you don't have to pay a signing bonus. That's already been done. Yeah, yeah. So th- there's got to be a little research, right, for teams where you've got to go back and look at what you thought of Josh Rosen a year ago. Did you believe a year ago that he was the best quarterback in the draft? Did you believe that he was the second best quarterback after Baker Mayfield? Or the number three quarterback in the draft? You know, whatever the number is, how did you feel about him? And now what could you get him for? Because if you would have taken him at number, oh, I don't know, 13 overall a year ago, and you still need a quarterback, why wouldn't you go get him? Are we surprised it's the Giants that haven't made a move? I mean, they yes. probably wouldn't give up the six pick, but don't they? They have a second first round pick, right? Doesn't it's seventeen, right? Yeah, six. And How 17 is Josh Rosen not the worth the seventeenth pick when there was a lot of debate that the Giants might take him with number two last year? There's some gamesmanship involved here, especially because if you're the Giants, for example, that's the one we're using. Since nobody else is bitten, they know that they can slow play this a little bit. Because the Cardinals have shopped this, and they can't get any takers. So if you're the Giants, maybe you can hang around for a little while and see if you can't move up in the draft. But my question is, do you think that the Cardinals are inadvertently sending a message to the rest of the league that there's something up with Rosen? Because he's he's got three years left on a rookie deal. He proved behind statistically one of the worst offensive lines in the history of professional football that he's a capable and good NFL-ready quarterback, a guy that you can build a franchise around. But do you think that they're accidentally sending a message because they're going to try to get rid of him and take a flyer for the number one pick on a five foot ten quarterback with one year of starting experience under his belt at any since college? He's been a starter for one year. Do you think they're telling teams there's something wrong with Rosen because we'd rather go with this kid who's never taken an NFL snap before? I think they're just infatuated with the young, like, mobile quarterback that's seemingly, quote-unquote, taken over the NFL but hasn't really. I would actually look at it, like, I'm not saying, like, Borky's, like, the way to look at it is right or wrong, but if you're looking at it from the other end and you're the Cardinals, I would zero in on the Giants because that's by far the most desperate team. They Like, Saquon Barkley's a great player, but you really messed up not having a successor for Eli at this point, and now you can rectify that. So if you're looking at a team that would give you the most because they'd get the most desperate to do it, it's probably the Giants. If you're the – well – uh, two things here. Number one, did some of the 
There were, a year ago, Josh Rosen rubbed some teams the wrong way. There were like teams that like didn't like his attitude, and I don't want to say character question marks. To me, that's a little aggressive to say that. But there were teams that didn't like his kind of mental makeup or, or his persona, right? There are teams that don't like Carson Wentz's mental makeup. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, Wentz, of course, way more proven. If you're the New York Giants, do you like Josh Rosen? Or Daniel Jones? Not That's Daniel the question, Jones. right? Daniel Jones has never had a season. I, yeah, I don't. I can't get behind Daniel Jones. Where he com- averaged more than seven yards of completion. That's the question, though. If you're the Giants, if you're going to pick a QB at six, do you like Rosen better than Jones or Haskins? If the answer is yes, then you, you sort of have to make this move. And that's where the Giants' desperation factor is, because I think anyone with I mean, I'm far from some scouting savant, but can't you look at both of those and Beck Rosen's probably definitely more polished than both those quarterbacks? Are we confident that Drew Locke's not available at six? He'll be available at six. Oh, he'll definitely be available, be. I think. God, why would anybody take him sixth? Well, no, I don't, I don't think they would. I'm just thinking about that's when the, the Giants' first pick is. Is he still available at 17? That's, I guess, the other question. And then do you like Drew Locke or Daniel Jones more? Sports Talk Mississippi, that's your college football fix in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. So Chad Ryder at NFL.com, who we will talk with later this week, has Kyler Murray going number one, Drew Locke going number two, Daniel Jones going number five to the Giants? So are they trading up to get him? Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of people that expect some serious trade movement in this draft, partially because the quarterback class isn't very deep and also because teams are still seemingly desperate to go sign one. Daniel Jones at number five to the Giants. Montez Sweat at number eight to Detroit. You think they would have to move, have to give up more to move up one spot to number five? Or to get Josh Rosen in a trade? That's another good question that they need to answer between now and then. I, that answer man, seems very easy, though, doesn't it? You go it get seems, Rosen. Let me, I cannot stress enough how much I don't like Lockett 2 and Jones at 5. I mean, this is, this is the best. These are the best quarterbacks in this class. Man. Man. No. I don't like either one of those. Chad Ryder, by the way, on the three-and-a-half over-under Mississippi players will take the over. Yeah. He's got Montez Sweat at eight to Detroit, D.K. Metcalf at 15 to the Redskins, Jeffrey Simmons at 31 to Seattle, and A.J. Brown at 32 to San Francisco. So there's another trade there because currently the Patriots have that 32nd pick. Yeah, I've seen a couple of mock drafts where San Francisco has traded into that last pick of the first round and, and taken A.J. Brown. Yeah. Um, the one we looked at at CBS Sports last week had the uh, same thing. So a lot of people think that this year's quarterback class is not very good. NFL.com has ranked the last 19 quarterback classes. And we'll just look at the top 10. So, best quarterback class of the last basically two decades. They rate 
2004 at number one. You remember that, guys? Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, J.P. Lossman, Matt Schaub, and Luke McCown. There are a lot of NFL starts among those six guys. All those guys had, like, actual careers. They did. And you got three guys that are potential Hall of Famers in Manning, Rivers, and Roethlisberger. Rivers without a Super Bowl still belongs, doesn't he? Yes. He, he's How about the, the people this, that argue he's against this the generation's Manor, Dan Marina, basically? Yeah, but without the cult following. Right, right. Well, Other than his nine kids. Yeah. <laughs> Other than his nine kids. Other than Better be quick on a Monday. Woo! I mean, there are people, though, that, that argue against Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame, aren't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they'll tell you that he's the all time leading interceptions thrower or whatever it is, but. Two Super Bowls, and he got two off of Brady. I mean, that that, that means something. So, yeah. He, he's in. Re- recency buys is not doing him any favors either, and him That's being true, very too. ineffective for the last, what, four or five years at least. I mean, they had one yeah. playoff season in there, but kind of faded weekly. Well, effective from a wins and losses standpoint, but if you're going to argue Phillip Rivers in, how do you argue Eli Manning out? I would argue Philip Rivers is dealt with. I'm not saying Eli Manning should be out, but if Philip Rivers in instead of Eli, would probably start with the amount of dysfunction he's had to overcome with his organization as opposed to the Giants. Would it not? Well, the Giants have been pretty dysfunctional for the last five years, haven't they? One, two yes. Super Bowls, though. More recently, yeah, farther back, yeah. Eli Manning has thrown for more yards than Philip Rivers. He has fewer touchdown passes. More interceptions. I mean, I don't. Those aren't the only numbers that matter, but, um, and if not for a kind of a boneheaded decision to bench him, he would still be with his consecutive start streak, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, not trying to turn that debate out there. So, two thousand four, the best quarterback class of the last two decades. 2012, not bad, but not nearly like 2004. Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin III, Ryan Tannehill went at number eight, Brandon Whedon, Brock Osweiler. And then in the third round, Russell Wilson and Nick Foles, and in the fourth round, Kirk Cousins, and as an undrafted free agent, Case Keenum. Doesn't that kind of show you why this charade to trade up to get Daniel Jones doesn't make any sense? Because, for I mean, you've got a guy like Will Greer. Minus the performance-enhancing drug thing, that's a guy that was really good at multiple Power 5 schools, broke records. Why is Daniel Jones the guy that's shooting up draft boards that you have to trade up to get to be your franchise quarterback even though he's never averaged seven yards per completion in his career, and yet Will Greer, who was incredibly successful in college and has the measurables to back that up as well, is a fourth or fifth round guy. Why does that happen that way? Will Greer seems like a pretty good value in the fourth or fifth round, doesn't yes, he? Yes, sir. You I mean, said it, though, Borky. It's measurables. People are always looking at these prototypes, and they're not looking at production. And it happens every year. And that's why you end up with a guy like, you know, Russell Wilson going in the, the third round. A guy like, you know, we're going to come to Drew Brees in a few minutes going, you know, in the second round. I mean, it, it's just it just happens every year. 
And, for and Russell reason. Wilson was so good. You remember, he beat out Matt Flynn, who they signed to a pretty big contract in a year. Like, do you know yeah. how good you have to be in training camp to beat out a guy who they just committed a bunch of money to yeah. from the get-go? Like $68 million or something yeah. like that. It was a massive number to Matt Flynn. Russell yeah, Wilson sweet was to good at two different Power 5 schools, as was Will Greer, or like we just said. That might be a pretty good comparison. The guy left one school and was immediately good at the next that tells you that you know it's not the talent around him sometimes. He's obviously getting it done. 2005, Alex Smith, Aaron Rodgers, Jason Campbell in the first round, Kyle Orton in the fourth round, Derek Anderson in the sixth round, Matt Castle and Ryan Fitzpatrick in the seventh round. Matt Castle and Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, have made a bunch of money for a couple of seventh-round picks. Wouldn't you put that class above the one we just went through? You've got probably still more guys in the NFL. Yeah, you got Russell Wilson and Nick Foles, though, in that group. I and Kirk Cousins. Very bad. And heavy. Andrew Luck. Rodgers. And Smith is, I mean, he, he hasn't been what you want out of a number one pick. He hasn't been a superstar. But that guy was a solid starter for a long time with San Fran and with KC. 2001, you had Michael Vick, number one overall. Drew Brees in the second round. Remember Quincy Carter? Great college player. Quincy Carter to the Dallas Cowboys, and then Chris Winkie in the uh, in the fourth round, coming out of Florida State after his baseball career. He was like 38 when he got drafted. That, the, that class is number four because of Drew Brees. No other reason. Vic had a few good years, obviously, but the, the other two guys are, are are not they're not ahead of anybody in these other classes. Uh, number five, the 2003 class, Carson Palmer. Number one overall, Byron Leftwich, number seven, Kyle Bowler, number 19, Rex Grossman went 22nd, David Ragone, Chris Sims, both in the third round, Seneca Wallace in the fourth round, and the undrafted free agent Tony Romo. 2008, only two quarterbacks listed here, both of them in the first round, Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco. I mean, that class to me, those just those two guys are better than, and I don't like Matt Ryan personally, obviously, but they're better than anybody in the 2003 class, except for maybe Romo, who wasn't drafted. How about 2017? Mitchell Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, Davis Webb, C.J. Beathard, Josh Dobbs, Nathan Peterman, Brad Kaya, Chad Kelly, and Taysom Hill and Nick Mullins, both as undrafted free agents. In five years, this might be number one. Think so? Because... With Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson, those three all look really, really, especially Mahomes, obviously. But Trubisky had a really solid second year, and Deshaun Watson, he, he looks like he's going to be a great pro quarterback, too. Hey, how about this? You go down to the, the number 10 group of quarterbacks on this list of the last 19 drafts. Number one overall, Cam Newton. This is the 2011 draft. Number eight overall to Rippey's Tennessee Titans, Jake Locker. Just to stab him, why don't you? Stab Blaine Jake Gabbard Walker at number 10? Decombust. Poor guy. He gave it a rip, but like literally just got destroyed and could not stay on the field. He wasn't a terrible like arm talent, but man, that guy just couldn't stay on the field. Christian Ponder, husband of Sam. He's more famous. Andy Dalton, Colin Kaepernick, Tyrod Taylor. Woof. Is it safe to say quarterback drafting is an inexact science? Can we can we make that statement? That's a lot of names 
out of the last 20 years, and some really good ones. A lot of millions of dollars wasted. But a lot of millions of dollars wasted. Sports Talk Mississippi with you and the rest. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.